You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, we're excited that you're here today. It's actually our 12-year anniversary. And so this is, a, this is a great, great weekend for us as a church. And I just want to let you know for everybody that's here, typically on, on a birthday, you, you bring gifts for the people that are having the birthday. But because we, we have a value, we live generously, we actually have a gift for every single one of you that are attending. So everybody that's watching online right now, I'm sorry, but you have a 1015 and you have an 1130 service to get here to get a free t-shirt because it's I Love My Church t-shirt weekend. And so we're excited to give you guys that and celebrate with you and seeing all that God has done over the last 12 years as a church. Also, I just want to remind you, even though Brian just talked about it, Pastor Brian just talked about it, we have She Gathering coming up this Thursday night. Ladies, this is like, like, it's amazing. I, I'm a guy and I want to come to it. And so like it's, but guys, you're not allowed to come. Uh, you can serve at it, but you can't come to it. It's just for the ladies. It's an incredible evening, a cool after party afterwards. And so if you're a lady out there, I want to encourage you, come Thursday night. It will be an incredible, incredible evening. Guys, you can win some points, take care of the kids out home so your wife or your, your special someone can have some time for them and God. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But this weekend, we're beginning a brand new series this weekend, and if you're new to church, and I just want to let you know this series is basically a, a, a bunch of ideas that are centrally themed that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And so this weekend, we're starting a brand new series called Rattled, and we're going to learn how that we can find joy in the middle of life's storms, in the middle of when life seems to be shaking you in all different arenas of life. And so I, I was thinking about it like this. I'm, I'm somebody that I don't like going into things blind. Do you guys understand what I'm saying when I say that? Like, like I don't like really, really big surprises. Like, I, I like to know kind of what's coming up. The only time I like going into things blind is like when somebody's taking me to a really nice golf course or they're gonna give me a new pair of shoes or, or we're gonna like go shopping somewhere cool. Like, I'm excited about that. But otherwise, like, I like to know what is going to happen. Like, when people set up meetings with my assistant, I wanna know, like, who they are, what do they wanna talk about, how long do they wanna talk about it. Do I like them? Like, I want to know like every detail I can because I want to be as prepared as possible. Come on, anybody else with me on that? Like, I, I don't like being unprepared. I don't really like surprises. I, I, I don't like things that can shock me. Like, I'm not a fan of like when I was a little kid. I did not like haunted houses. Like, I didn't like the idea of somebody jumping out with a chainsaw and running after me. That does not sound like fun to me. Jumping off of a building, that's cool because I'm making that choice, but I, I like knowing what is going to happen because I like being prepared. I like being mentally prepared. I like being emotionally prepared. When I'm going on a trip, I like to know what I should be packing for that trip. Come on, does anybody understand what I'm saying here today? How many of you know it's better to be prepared? But here's what I know about life is sometimes life throws some curveballs at you and gets you in some situations that you are not prepared for. And it's in those moments that you can get rattled. It's in those moments that you can get flustered. It's in those moments that it feels like the world around you is shaking and the ground is crumbling and you aren't sure exactly what to do in those moments and how to stay firm in the middle of those 
situations. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want us to dive into a book, the book in the Bible called James. And I believe that over the next couple of weeks, through uh, some ideas that are in here, some themes that are in the book of James, we are going to learn how that no matter how much life shakes us, no matter how rattled we get in situations, that there is an opportunity for us to find joy and to have a firm foundation in the middle of those situations. No matter how it seems like, wait, where is God and what is happening here? I want you to know that there is something that we can stand firm on in those situations. And what James really wants to do is he wants to help us get and see from a different perspective. Because so many times what I know is, is that when you're in the middle of a shaking situation and when you're rattled in life, a lot of times if you were to just go and get a different perspective of what is going on rather than the perspective you're in, all of a sudden you would see things completely different. And I believe that God in the middle of our lives wants to give us some different perspective so that we can find and we can keep the joy in the middle of our shaking. And so today as we dive in, the question we're gonna ask ourselves is this, is is it this or is it that? In fact, that's what James is gonna do here is he's gonna contrast and compare two different ideas and two different thoughts so that we can recognize and realize what is happening when we are being shook in life because what he wants is he doesn't want for any of us to be caught off guard, but he wants you to know what is happening so that you can be informed, so you can be prepared for what is going to take place. And so we're going to start in James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and it says this. It says, James, and I just want to stop right here, right in the very beginning, because James is identifying himself right here in this scripture. He wants you to know who he is, and James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Some of you are like, how is he the half-brother of Jesus? Well, God was Mary's baby daddy, okay? And so that's how Jesus got there. Joseph was not that, and so so, so that's who he is, and he could have identified himself in a lot of different ways, but he says, James, a servant of God, which I think is an incredible way to identify yourself. In fact, we could spend an entire week just talking about this phrase right here, because we are not called to be rock stars for God. We are called to be servants of God. We are called to recognize, like James could have said, hey, I'm the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, the largest church that's ever started. Day one, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. That's a pretty incredible start. I don't know of any other church that started that way. He could have identified himself in a lot of ways, but he understood the real way to have leadership is servant leadership. And so he says, man, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I think is such an incredible statement. In fact, this might be the most important claim to the truth of who Jesus was because the resurrection was a powerful truth of who Jesus was. Uh, the 400 people that saw him after he rose from the dead were a powerful truth of who Jesus was. The 12 disciples that were willing to give their life as martyrs is a powerful uh, truth to know who Jesus is. But you know what's more powerful? Is when you can convince your half-brother that you are the son of God. That's a powerful truth right there. Come on, all of y'all that have siblings, you know how hard it is to convince one of your siblings that you're something special, let alone the Son of God. Like, that is a miracle right there. And so he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered across the nation. So the people are scattered. They're in a season of chaos. They don't know what's coming next. And then he says, greetings. 
greetings. And the word greetings there is this idea, if you were to look back in the Greek, it's this idea of, of the word rejoice. So they're scattered and they're in chaos. And James says, hey, here's what I want you to do in the middle of your scatteredness, in the middle of your chaos. I want you to rejoice. He's telling them, I'm making a choice and my choice is to rejoice because rejoicing is a choice. And in the next section of, of, of the scripture we're going to look at, he deals with two things today. And it's the thing, is it this or is it that? He deals with trials and then he deals with temptations. And it's important for us to recognize the difference between these two because you have to understand that there are two different things that are coming at you in life. There are trials and there are temptation. And what I would describe a trial as is a, a trial is, is you're on a path and all of a sudden there is an obstacle in your path that you have to go through, get around in life. And so trials are obstacles in your path. It's a challenging situation at work. It's the thing that comes up that was not on your calendar. It's a global pandemic that you were not prepared for. It's a trial. And then he says there's another thing. It's a temptation. And a temptation is a fork in the road. It's a, it's a spot where you have a choice. Am I going to go left or am I going to go right? And James wants us to know that when we're facing hard times, I want you to know what the difference is, whether it's a trial or whether it's a temptation. Because here's what a trial is going to bring to your life, and here is what a temptation is going to bring to your life. Here's how a trial is going to rattle you, and here is how a temptation is going to rattle you. And I want you to know that while they may feel very similar, they are very, very different. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break these down. And he starts off talking about trials and how we all face them. And the first thing he shows us, if you're taking notes, and you should be taking notes for all of you that are watching online, I want to encourage you to take notes there at home. Number one, what he wants us to know about trials is, is you can name it. Like, you get the opportunity to call the trial whatever you want to call it. I don't mean you get to name your trial like my trial's name is Bob. Or my trial's name is Susie. No, 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 it's not naming it like that. I'm not talking about like, hey, my trial is my boss and his name is Fred. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Or it's my homeroom teacher. No, no, no. He's saying like, listen, look at this in verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That word consider there is this idea of leading or advancing or stepping further. In other words, what he says is he says, hey, lead into joy when you face trials of many kinds. He says, uh, suppose or consider it, think about it. Suppose it to be joy in the middle of the situation that you're in right now that is a trial in your life. And some of you are thinking to yourself, James, have you lost your mind? I'm supposed to think about this, this situation that I'm in. I'm supposed to consider it joy that I'm experiencing this pain in life right now? I'm supposed to consider it joy that I'm in this relational difficulty right now. I'm supposed to consider it joy that I'm facing this health issue right now. I'm supposed to consider it joy that there's this friction in my life right now. I'm supposed to consider it joy in this situation, even though I'm walking through all this uncertainty. I'm supposed to consider it joy that I'm facing depression right now. I'm supposed to consider this joy. And James goes, yeah. You get to decide what you call it. You can call it it's over. The game is done. Life is horrible. This is going to defeat me. 
this is the thing that is gonna take me under. In other words, he's saying you get to decide what you call your trial in the middle of it. And James is just saying, I think you should consider calling it joy. I think you should look at this situation and go, you know what? God must be up to something in the middle of this. And in the middle of this, I'm going to find joy in this. It might not be making me happy right now, but I can find joy in the middle of it. Because here's what I've found in life. You will find whatever you're looking for. Come on, you know that's true. You'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for defeat, you know what you'll find? Defeat. If you're looking for depression, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find some depression. If you're looking for this is the thing that's going to take me out, you're going to find the thing that takes you out. Because there is power in how you see things. And James is just saying, why don't you consider it joy? You have nothing to lose. Do you actually have a better option? Do you have a better perspective in life? And he's saying, man, just consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. He is not saying walk around and going, God, man, I'm so thankful for these trials. God, I'm so thankful for the pain that I'm walking through. This is amazing. No, he's not saying that. In fact, the Bible tells us give thanks to God for for it is his will. In all things, give thanks to God, for it is his will. It doesn't say for all things, give thanks. It says in all things. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. In the middle of what you're going through, you can look around and while it may not be roses and butterflies and rainbows and, and unicorns, you can look around and go, you know what? In the middle of what I'm going through, I know that God is still good, that God is still faithful, that God is present in my situation and he will help me in this moment. And he causes all things to work together for good and so I can find joy in the middle of this. Because I'm not thanking them for what I'm going for, through. I'm thanking them in the middle of it. Because when you consider it joy, it begins to change your attitude. My mom used to always tell me, your attitude will change your altitude. And some of you have been flying so low in this season because of your attitude has been dictated everything around you. And you need to know that your attitude, you know what it is? Is it is a choice. It's a choice. We get to choose how we respond. And if you live your life responding to everything based on your experience and how you're feeling in that moment, you know what you're going to end up? You're going to end up schizophrenic. You will. You'll be emotionally unstable because one moment things will be going good and so you'll be flying high as a kite and then something bad will happen and all of a sudden you'll be in depression. You'll be going well until somebody says something about you, then all of a sudden all of your insecurities will start to rise up, you'll start to become self-conscious in that moment and you'll just be bouncing all over the place emotionally. No, you choose. Listen, choices lead and feelings follow. Some of y'all need to hear that because you've been letting your feelings lead and then choosing based on that. Instead, choices lead and then your feelings follow that choice. And James says, I want you to know that you can name your trial and you can name it joy because number two, you can use it. You can use it. You can use trials. Well, teacher, I thought the trial was using me. It's based on how you see it. 
verse 3, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, James, I call this joy because God is doing something, isn't doing something to me. What he's doing is he's doing something in me. I can find joy in this because God didn't send the trial, but God is leveraging the trial, and he's making me stronger. He's making me better. He's making me more faith-filled in this moment. He's making me more courageous. He's making me deeper in my intimacy with God. So do you mean that I can come out of this season so much better than when I went in? It's your choice. It depends on how you use it. See, you could also come out of this season more bitter. You could come out of this season more discouraged. You could come out more beat up. Or, or you could choose to go, you know what? I'm more determined than I've ever been because I'm allowing this season of trials to develop some perseverance right inside of here. And I'm getting more resilient and I'm getting stronger and my belief is higher and my destiny is more sure because of the trials that I'm going through and I have joy in the middle of them. I may be walking through it but I got a smile on my face. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Somebody shout, finish it. Finish it. Come on, shout, finish it. finish it. Don't go halfway. Don't quit early. When the heat gets turned up in the kitchen, don't run out. No, in that moment, you lean in and let God finish the work. Why? So that you may be mature, and complete and not lacking anything. That word complete is this idea that God would make us whole and full. And here's the deal. If you're walking through a trial right now and you'll allow God, what he'll do is he'll start to complete some things in you. He'll start to finish some works in you because ultimately he wants to fulfill you and make you whole. And you're like, well, I don't like it, TJ. Well, I don't like going to the gym but it keeps me healthy. Like, I don't like the strain, but the strain produces strength. Like, I don't like the stretch, but the stretch expands my capacity. Like, I may not like it, but what it's doing is it's completing something in me, and he's trying to fulfill something in every single one of us. And James tells us when we're in the middle of that, number three, you can ask for help. You can ask for help. Not only can you name it and determine what it is, you can use it to come out better and not bitter, come out stronger and not weaker. It's up to you. But he tells us in the middle of it, you can ask for help. In verse 5, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And this, honestly, has been my prayer for the last 20 years of my life. Every single day, man, God, I can ask you for wisdom because God has put me in situations that I was never meant to be, in places that I did not deserve. And I, I knew right away I needed the wisdom of God because I was in way over my head. He said, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. So you can't go, God, I trust you for wisdom. And they go, man, I, I hope God comes through. No, it says when you pray, you go, you know what? After you pray, you go, God, I'm so thankful that I've got wisdom uncommon for my age. God, I'm so thankful that when I walk in a room, people recognize that there is something different about me because I have the wisdom of God evident in my life. And I am walking in your favor and I'm walking in your insight. Thank you, God. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
And here's what I know. Trials will either blow you around or they'll anchor you and make your footing solid. we got to say, God, I'm trusting you in the middle of this. I want the wisdom to handle it. And I receive that wisdom to walk through it. It says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In other words, you can't walk through a trial with one foot of I'm trusting God and the other foot of like, man, I, I, I don't really know what God's going to do. In other words, it can't be like, listen, I'm going to trust God, but I've got a plan B over here just in case God does not come through. No, no, no. God's saying, man, that person is unstable. Like they are the schizophrenic person. They're a double-minded person. God is saying, man, I want you to go all in 100% on my plan with no other plan. Trusting me fully, completely, 100%, no other ways. I'm caring for you. I'm taking care of it. Trust me. And so he's saying, man, a trial is an obstacle in the road. And when you face that obstacle, you get the opportunity to decide what you're going to do with it. You can complain or be bitter, or you can choose to name it joy. And when you name it joy, all of a sudden you can begin to use it and leverage it and come out stronger and come out better. In the middle of it, if you need some wisdom, God says, just ask me and I will give you that thing that you are looking for to handle that situation. That is what a trial is. Now, the second thing he talks to us about is this word temptation. And that is a completely different thing. But for a lot of us, it feels exactly the same. Like, it's completely different because in the middle of the trial, we can also be tempted. And he goes, I want you to be aware and know so that when something comes up, you know whether that's a trial or that is a temptation. And so here's what you need to know about temptation. Number one is it's not from God. James is clear and he lets us know up front, God says what God says about this. In verse 13, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now listen to me, because I want every single believer to get this, because a lot of people have a misinterpretation of this. God will test your faith and use trials to do it, but God will never tempt you to sin. Like, this verse right here, he'll, he'll test your faith, but God will never tempt you to sin. Like the, the verse here, if you were to go back to the Greek, it actually says it is not in God's uh, nature, it's not in his ability. In fact, God is unable to sin. Well, God can do all things except for this. It's the only thing he can do. He cannot sin. He is perfect in all of his ways. It's not his portfolio. It's not his nature to even tempt you. And so when you face temptation to sin or to lash out or be prideful or whatever it is, you have to know right there, this is not God. It's not God trying to see if, will you choose evil or will you choose good? That's not what he does. So when you get that, that feeling that, man, I just want to lash out at them, that's not God. When you get that temptation to lie, to make yourself look better, that's not God. When you, when you start to lust over that person, that's not God. See, when I'm tempted in life, that's not God. See, here's what you need to know. Trials are used by God to grow you. Temptation is used by the enemy to ruin you. God will use trials in your life because he is trying to grow your faith. But temptation comes from the enemy, the evil one, the devil, and he actually wants to use it to ruin your life. Now, here's the deal about the enemy of your soul. 
He has no new tricks in his bag. He's been playing the same games with the same MO since the Garden of Eden. So here's what I want you to know about temptation. Number one, it's not from God. Number two, it's predictable. It's predictable. Temptation is always predictable 100% of the time. He has no new tricks. He has no new deceptions. He continues to tempt you towards anger the same way he's always tempted you towards anger. He continues to tempt you towards pride the same way he's tempted you towards pride. He continues to tempt you towards lust the same way that he's always tempted you towards lust. It's predictable, and the Bible actually gives us the process. In verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Same old process, it starts with desire. It's predictable. It's something inside of you is a desire. See, trials come from the outside. Temptation comes from the inside. You need to understand this. Trials are outward. Temptation is inward. So it comes from within. So somebody offends me and, and we go, I'm not gonna forgive them. Why? Because I don't want to. That comes from a desire within. Affairs don't start out here. They start in here. Lying does not start out there, it starts in here with a desire to be accepted, to be loved, to be thought great of. Temptation does not start out here, it's not the boogeyman trying to get you, it starts in here with a desire. And eventually that desire leads to disobedience. We have a desire, and that desire is to do it our way, not God's way. And we think, man, this, this is where we're at a fork in the road with temptation. And it hits, and it, it goes, man, I can go my way with what I want to do, or I can go God's way. And, and God's way is me saying, man, I've been crucified with Christ. I am no longer my own, but I am living my way, my life as God's servant. And we have a choice right there. And a lot of times, instead of following God's will for our life, we choose to go down. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm, as Susie would say, I'm going to do me, boo-boo. You do you, boo-boo. Something like that. Huh? Something. And we go, you know what? Because let's just be honest. Isn't it easy to go, forget y'all. I'm going to do what I want. Like, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind right now. Like, isn't it easier to go, you know what? Man, I just want to feel good, so I'm going to do that. Like, isn't it easier just to go, man, I, you, this just feels right. And you know what? Inside is doing your flesh is going, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. That feels so good. It's just easier to talk behind their back. just easier to put that post out to make you feel better. It's just so much easier in that moment and you're at a fork in the road and that desire is a lie. And when you choose disobedience, it's because you chose your desire over God's will for your life. Well, TJ, I just can't help myself. No, 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 no. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in you. Same power. So you have the power to overcome your desires. 
But listen, we all mess up. That's why I'm so thankful for 1 John. It says that if he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, if we'll confess. And cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. He picks us back up and he says, hey, next time, here's what I want from you. I want you to make a different decision. When you're at that fork in the road, don't follow your desire. Follow my will. Why? Because his grace is available. And it's abundant. But this, my friends, is a predictable process. It's so predictable how the enemy works. The desire is there. And here is the deal. We all have different things that take us down. That's what Paul talked about. We all have a sin that so easily entangles us. Shayla and I were talking about this on the way here. And, and she's like, what do, you think, what do you think my desire is that I fall for? I said, food. She's like, no, I think it's laziness. And somebody walks in and says, hey, man, we're dropping barbecue off today. And she's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. We're on this like, really healthy diet, like right down the tube, right? Why? <laughs> Sorry to throw you under the bus right there. Because <laughs> the enemy knows we all have a button. And he knows that, man, he knows how you fall into anger the same way. He knows how you fall into gluttony the same way, Shayla. And just. <laughs> but we have to remember that we have the spirit of God on the inside. And James is saying when we're at a fork in the road, don't let your desire turn into disobedience. Because some of you need to understand this. At the point of desire, you have not sinned yet. Some of you live in so much shame over the desires that you have that you think that you are worthless and you are nothing. Listen, you have not sinned at the point of desire. The moment you start moving desire towards disobedience, that's when you start screwing up. And so we have to recognize it at that point. He's saying, don't let your desire turn into something else. And so James is saying, man, God uses trials for your growth. The enemy uses temptation ultimately for your death. God will use the trials in your life if you allow him to and turn it into growth. The enemy wants to use your temptation and turn it into death. He's saying, man, I want you to be aware of these two and be ready for what is coming. Now, some of you are like, but TJ, am I literally going to die? Depends on the choice you make. Some choices will cost your life. But, but here's what I would say is not that you're going to physically die, but there are parts of you that will start to die. And where you'll start to die is right in here. That's why Jesus came and said, I came to give them life and give it to them more abundantly. Why? Because he wanted to renovate our heart. And so if trials are an obstacle and temptations are a fork in the road, and in the moment you have a choice to make to follow the spirit or follow the flesh, you, you follow who you really are or who you used to be, then you need to know, number three, those temptations that they're not inevitable. It's predictable because let's be honest, right now, if we were to end this message, this would be a pretty downer message. Hey, listen, you're going to end in death. Let's pray. 
And I think James realized that right here in the message. He's like, man, we we better get this plane off the ground again because we're nosediving right here. And so so he says, not a great way to end. It's predictable, but it's not inevitable. You don't have to just fall for the scheme of the enemy over and over and over again. It's not inevitable. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Right after he tells us it leads to death, he goes, man, I want you to know that God has got good gifts for you. Like he's got some amazing things for you. And if you'll invite the light of God into your situation every moment of the day, I want you to know that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not gonna forgive you in one moment and then go, that's unforgivable in the next. He's not gonna love you in one moment and then reject you in the next. No, no, no. God is faithful. And he, he wants us to know that God is faithful in these moments. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. In other words, everybody's going through it. And here's what the enemy does. He makes you think that you're the only one. That you're the unicorn in the situation that nobody else is experiencing what you're experiencing. Nobody else is facing the dilemmas that you're facing. Nobody is in the temptation that you're in. And God just wants you to know, no, no, everybody's facing it. She's got a temptation and he's got a temptation and over here they've got a temptation and there's a temptation. Like we're all in the middle of it. And Paul's like, instead of faking it like we got it all going on, let's start getting real. Because the fakest place in America is church on Saturday or Sunday morning. How are you doing? Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. And you're broke and about to be evicted. And it says, and God is faithful. When you're at the fork in the road and you continue to choose the wrong path, listen, God is faithful. It says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. I don't see a way out, pastor. I just don't see it. I'll give you a way out. Connect groups. I'll give you a way out. Authentic relationships. I'll give you a way out. Get some people in your life that you can be honest and truthful with and go, man, I'm struggling in this area. I keep feeling like I'm falling over and over again. Will you help me? I'll give you a way out, the body of Christ. So that you can endure it. So so you can endure it. He doesn't necessarily say he's gonna take it away from you, but what he does say is that you'll make it through it. And James finishes up in verse 18 and he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. When he's talking about the word of truth there, he's talking about Jesus. What he's saying is he's saying, we have power. And if we don't give up, victory is ours. Sometimes in trials, You just have to outlast them 
and victory is yours. Sometimes with temptations, you just have to outlast them and victory is yours. And you know what he's telling us? With Jesus, if we'll just keep pressing forward with Jesus on the inside of you, victory is yours. And here's what I want you to know, church. If, if you're watching online right now, if you're in the middle of a trial, victory is yours because you're getting better, you're getting stronger, you're getting more resilient, you're getting more filled with the Spirit of God who wants you to be more and more like His Son, Jesus. If you're facing temptation right now, I want you to know that victory is yours. Why? Because greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. Some of you need that spoken over your life right now. Greater is he who is in you. The spirit of the living God, his Holy Spirit, is greater than that temptation that you're facing from out there. Some of us have been rattled by trials. No more. It's joy because God is doing something inside of you. Some of you are rattled by temptation no more. It's predictable because you know how the enemy works. Victory is yours. Why? Because we have been reborn into the word of truth and we are a part of his first fruits. We are called his sons and his daughters. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Maybe you're here today and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say we are reborn into the word of truth. The Bible says that when we encounter Jesus and we recognize who he is and what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary through his death and resurrection, that we are reborn and what is, is not that we physically come back out of the womb, it's that man, the spirit that God placed inside of us is birthed inside of us. See, every single one of us has a God-shaped void that we have been trying to fulfill through, through success or achievement or relationships or that career. And, and while those things may give you a twinge of what you're looking for, they always leave you lacking. The only thing that could actually fill that is the, that God-shaped void in your life is actually God. He said, man, I want to I come back into your life. In fact, God's entire goal has been restoration. He said, the way that I'm going to restore it is, 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 is I loved humanity so much, I loved you so much that I would pay the ultimate price through the death, resurrection of my son who lived a perfect life then died a sinner's death so that you would not have to experience that life, that you could be restored back into relationship with me the Bible actually says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. And today, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, you need to experience a rebirth of your spirit. You need to be reunited with your creator. It starts with a simple yet significant prayer. And if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up at the count of three, we'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't miss your moment here. 
If you'll pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die a sinner's death, a death that I deserve. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I ask you to come into my heart, take over, fill me with your love and your joy and your peace. Let your Holy Spirit be reborn and live and guide and direct me all the days of my life. God, I ask you to not only be my Savior, but be my Lord. God, I love you and I follow you. No temptation will overtake me. No, no trial will overcome me. But God, I know that through you, trusting and following you, that victory is yours and victory is mine. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.